What is up, Ridge Runner Nation? How are you guys doing today? Hope you guys are staying safe out there during this very strange time. We have a very good show today for you featuring Michael Owen and Gabe Brainwater and their recent experiences at the Quarantine Backyard Ultra and the controversy associated with this race. So sit back, enjoy, or go for a run and enjoy. Thanks. And we're live. Awesome. What is going on, Ridge Runner Nation? We are back for another Ridge Runners live show. This is our first of two live shows this week. We've got John and I holding it down. We got two guests on the show tonight who did some pretty incredible things this past weekend. Uh, they both competed in the Quarantine Backyard Ultra and absolutely crushed it. I'm excited to hear about their adventures as well as their thoughts on the controversy surrounding the end of the race. Without further ado, Michael Owen, Gabe Rainwater, how are you guys? Doing well. Good. Thanks, Thanks for coming on again. Gabe, I know you were just on a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were super excited to get you back on this week to talk all things about your recent adventure. Michael, obviously always a pleasure having you on as well. Uh, what are you guys drinking tonight? <laughs> Michael. <laughs> you guys always know I'm not going to have anything that exciting, <laughs> but I did just pull out a Simple Truth organic seltzer water. Nice. Uh, triberry, mixed berry. And I'm drinking a Wooly Pig IPL Heinz. There you go. John. Like 0.6 miles from my house. <laughs> nice. I am... if, if, if this was next week, I would have had some homemade kombucha, but I. Don't have it ready yet. It's cool. it's still uh, for- fermenting. Fermenting. I'll have to get you on again and have a you know something <laughs> exciting to drink. I, I have, have a name name for it. Some Mystic Mama over here, classic here in Jack Hughes. I just had a little uh, Miller Light delivered to me, so we're we're rolling tonight. <laughs> uh, obviously, you guys ran the Quarantine Backyard Ultra. Uh, absolutely crushed it out there. Um, this race was kind of unique, obviously, it being a virtual race. It's a little different than a regular backyard ultra where everyone comes together and it's kind of one central event. The virtual aspect of it made it a little different. Obviously, there was a Zoom feed and whatnot. But take us back to the beginning when the first time you uh, heard about the race and like when did you sign up for it and what was the appeal to, to run this race for you guys? And Michael, you can start us off. Um, so I heard about it, I guess it was like probably the same day that I had to cancel my backyard ultra that I direct the Ohio's backyard ultra, which is a, I want to give a shout out to my own race here postponed until November. Um, so like about that time that races were being canceled, um, March, I think it was like March, uh, March 14th, somewhere around that date that I had to cancel. Um, some virtual races were popping up and I think I actually saw it from Harvey Lewis on his Facebook. He posted that he was going to be, participating in this quarantine backyard ultra and um i popped on the website on that same day that i learned about it and saw that it was free read the rules it seemed appealing seemed legit and everything and some top runners were uh, already signed up including harvey and so um i just registered without even really knowing if i would do it or not just because it was free there was nothing to to hold me um, accountable or anything and so um, that's how I learned about it. And, and, uh, I just wanted to put, put my name on a registration list and then I had a couple more weeks to decide if I wanted to do it or not. Definitely Gabe. Uh, I found out about it. I was sitting, having just finished my hundred miler around my backyard <laughs> and it, it popped up and it was, uh, you know, a quarantine backyard. And I didn't really, I was like, that eh, seems kind of silly. It might be a bit of a joke. Um, but uh, I was like, well, I don't know. We'll see. And then 24 hours later, I texted my wife and I said, don't hate me, but this looks really fun. Can I run? <laughs> and I said, and she was like, well, we'll look into it. So then I signed up and she helped me figure out the zoom feed and all that stuff. So I told my wife, um, about it about a week before and then I didn't tell her I was doing it until about 10 p.m. on Friday night because <laughs> I, I hadn't committed to it until Friday night and then I sort of just got real you know like I saw all the stuff that was posted about it I was like all right I'm kind of excited about it and so I confirmed with her she was in bed already and so I had to like get my stuff ready 
So thankfully she uh, was cool with it. But I don't think she think thought I was going to go that far. <laughs> There's already some Ridge Runner Nation members fighting about the end of the race in the chat, and we will get there Jeez, eventually. Guys, settle down. This is, <laughs> this is about Gabe and I. Come on. <laughs> we, we will get there. <laughs> uh, it's just it's awesome to see. Obviously, Michael, you said you hopped in the race, kind of uh, decided to actually run it last minute. So what was your preparation like mentally and physically going into the race? Um, so... Yeah, I did decide like for sure the night before, but um, the previous grocery trip, obviously like with the with the pandemic and the sort of the self-isolation stuff, I haven't been out too much. I've probably left the house. I've actually left the house twice in the last three weeks. Um, I did stock up a little bit extra with like stuff that I thought I might use for the race. So I had like, you know, like typical race food stuff that I might have, um, chips and you know, stuff like that, um, that I wouldn't normally buy. So sort of prepped that way. Training wise, obviously like no one really was able to prep unless they were previously planning to do a backyard ultra like Gabe. <laughs> um, but this was my first backyard ultra that I participated in. I've followed this format and this really like this kind of the last few year phenomenon. Um, I got to direct one. So I learned, I've, I've, I've learned a lot and I've followed it and, um, it's always intrigued me. So I guess I've just kind of prepped mentally over the years. Um, sort of always have had an idea of what I, of how I would approach it. And so that just kind of form formulated itself. Um, and you know, that first day of running in my mind was just like a way to test out the waters. And then, yeah, that's when he figured out. Um, but yeah, the, the prep in terms of like, um, course and uh my stuff at the house i just kind of wrapped it up or i just kind of like picked it all up um, the night before and gathered it in between loops the first few hours um the, the course i basically um know all of my mileage is out from my house um, from years and years of running it so i just was able to kind of measure off that uh 0.08 it was an out and back course a couple different courses and so um really not much prep um and then like the mental prep, I think I just did that during the race um, from the competition side of things. I, I, it didn't really seem like a competition at first. And then like once you started seeing that like 1,500 participant number dwindled down to like 500 to, to 100 people to 70 people to, you know, then eventually like the top 24. Um, that's like that process is what got me into the competitive nature of that of the event. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Gabe, before you dive into your preparation, um, Amy Christians in the chat said you guys are all awesome. And Conrad Yoder said, hey, Gabe, congrats on the PR. Kind of spoiling it a little bit for us, but wanted to make sure we got those out there. So Gabe, obviously you ran 100 miles in your backyard two weeks ago. I'm sure you didn't do much preparation for this physically. Uh, what did you do mentally to pre prepare for this? Um, well, I was sort of been mentally preparing for Ohio backyard because I was signed up um, to do that. And I did that last year. Um, I also ran Bob's backyard and Biggs' backyard. Um, so I've had some experience. Um, so like as far as my nutrition and everything, I already had that basically ready to go for Ohio backyard. Uh, I've been to the store several weeks before and stocked up. Um... So then mentally, mentally, the backyard ultra is, is terrifying to me. Um, I really have a hard time, like a couple days leading up to it. Um, because there's just, there's no, there's no end. And, and I know like really, no matter what happens, there's going to be a little bit of me that's going to be disappointed. Like whenever it ends, I'll be disappointed. <laughs> um, so it's really, it's, it's a it's a little bit of a struggle um mentally more so just not having that finish line um so and then my course at first uh i was going to run some of my trail because i was really i was really concerned about running pavement um the whole entire time so i had a i actually had a, like a two a two mile loop that i was going to do twice sort of like ohio backyard um and then I was, I was going to do that during the day. And then at night I was going to switch to my road. Um, 
And then I kind of was like, you know, that trail just sucks time. It's really, you're putting out the same effort, but you're just, you're, you know, you're coming in. So I was like, I was just going to roll the dice. I decided I'm going to roll the dice and run on the road the whole time. And I still, my course had about 450 feet of elevation gain over the four miles. Um, and it was really neat. Like the whole time I was running, I was like, I've, I've run this course from my house for 15, 16 years, like my whole running life. And I'm right now I'm competing against the world, like in my backyard. And it was a really neat, kind of surreal um, experience. So I agree. That's, um, you know, same, same with you, Gabe. I've, I've grown, I grew up here. Um, my parents live across the road from where I live now. And I've, I've been a runner for about 16 years now. And so I've literally ran on these back roads for my entire running life. And, um, I've ran them on probably all parts of the day from in, in between, you know, like 4am maybe to past midnight. But this was kind of cool because I literally saw it every hour of the day, sort of saw the birds wake up, the woodpeckers start popping up in the morning and, and dusk, um, fall on. And so I thought that was kind of cool and just kind of surreal. Like you said, um, really neat, really, really neat. Like I saw like bush light cans would appear like overnight. Like you'd be running along and one loop, there'd be nothing out there. Then there'd be three empties in the middle of the road. And you're like, Oh boy. <laughs> See, to totally. Also roadkill would appear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And the neighbors would no. the neighbors surprisingly never sort of really caught on, but you know, they were like, I had a couple of neighbors. Um, my wife posted about what I was doing and, uh, she's a school teacher and a couple of um, parents of her kids saw her post and they, um, they live along the route and eventually like pretty late at night, I thought it was like past midnight, maybe um, the kids went out and, and told me to not give up <laughs> and so that's kind of cool. Um, but they had been wondering what I had been doing for like the last 30 well, hours. And my direct neighbors, they knew what I was doing. So they were putting out signs. Nice. Yeah. Cheers. So, so. Cheers. It was pretty cool. Yeah. That's great, guys. Yeah. I mean, it kind of uh, sums up the experience a little bit more. Obviously, when you're at an actual back at Ultra, you have the fans there, you've got the people cheering for you. But to even have that uh, aspect of it in your guys' own routes, in your own backyards, that's, that's pretty awesome. Uh, walk us through the early hours of the day. The first bell goes off. What are you guys thinking? Obviously, it's so early in the day. Take us through the early loops. Uh, day one, Gabe, you can start us off. I hate the early loops. I mean, it's like, it's like there's nothing. It's, it's just sort of boredom. Um, and like, you know, the first bell goes off and you, and you and it started and you're just like, well, okay, I'm going to do this. And you just run and come back. And, and then after about two or three loops, it starts moving a lot quicker. Um, and I actually, I usually, I tend to have my roughest patches around 50 miles and 75 miles. So that's like I was, I think at 50 miles was the first time I laid down and really had to stretch out. Um, and sort of emotionally too, like that, that was nine o'clock. Um, so it was dark and it was like looking the prospects of, you know, the night coming up and, um, and then 75 miles is always rough because it's just kind of like, you know, that's the point where it's kind of setting in on you. Um, and then I just know once I get through 75, then sun comes up and I hit a hundred and then, you know, through that second day is pretty easy sailing. Um, and then I'm really, really nervous. Like that second night, that was the farthest I've gone into a second night. I went maybe a loop and a half in complete dark. Um, and it wasn't as bad as I was expecting. Um, but that's something mentally I need to work on. I think just being able to get through the second night. Um, cause I haven't been able to figure out how to sleep. I haven't slept at all during my backyards. Um, I can't seem to, you know, have 50, even 15 minutes. I still can't like. So no, Mike Wardian went for almost three days and didn't sleep a wink. So I don't know. I think it's well, hard to. Yeah. yeah, I don't really think it's necessary to sleep. Um, but 
it's something it know, would feel good <laughs> would. <laughs> yes yeah so obviously like gabe's got some experience doing this i got to watch him last year do it for the first time and um i i didn't have an approach but like the early miles the early loops i mean were were pretty slow um not not necessarily just by pace pace was slow too but um just like the way time warped was it took forever um luckily like as we got into the later stages into over a day like i thought the hours went by fast like i was like wow i'm back to my house already um so it was tough just like literally you're as fresh as can be um you're running 11 and a half 12 minute pace on fresh legs like that's somewhat challenging um mm -hmm. it's amazing how much harder that that feels later on um but for me it was strange because i had some of my of my worst miles in the very first half day my so so i came into this race with a, an achilles injury achilles tendonitis type injury my left um leg and that's sort of the reason i waited to reg or waited to commit to this race um you know because i hadn't ran over six miles in the last three weeks um but i had some good runs it felt pretty good and it hadn't hurt me for a few days and i just thought you know with with the free entry and everything to this race like i, I could literally just pull out after five hours if i needed to like i could based off of my previous three weeks like i knew when it was going to hurt um pretty early on a run and it was pretty good for like the first three hours like no pain no tightness no no stiffness and then like the last two miles of my fourth hour it just had excruciating pain shooting through my leg like, oh man i might have to quit here soon um which i was going to be fine with just because there was there was nothing on the line for me um but like my course of action was i got back to the house i rolled i put some lotion on my legs and massage my calf and massage my Achilles and uh, massage my heel and stuff. And it would go away for another hour or two. Then it would pop back another couple hours later. And then um, it just kind of went that way for the first 12 hours, first uh, even first 20 hours. Um, and so that was kind of what I was focusing on. Um, once I sort of committed to be like, okay, I'm going to push through this Achilles injury. Um, I, I was committed to taking care of it between loops um, in conjunction with like getting food and getting, uh, you know, f nutrition and fuel. Um, but I was mainly spending 10 minutes or more every loop massaging and rolling out my leg. And that would get me by for a few more hours. Um, and then I had this crazy wild streak of luck in my opinion of like 15 or 16 hours where I didn't feel my Achilles didn't hinder me at all. It was completely um, flexible, full range of motion, no no leg stiffness um, through the night um, into like hour 30 something. Um, and so then I kind of got off of that maintenance plan um, and ultimately kind of just, it came back uh, right around hour one fit or uh, hour or mile 150, I'm forgetting what hour that is now, 36, I guess. Um, <laughs> um, it came back with vengeance and like basically crippled me. And then I hobbled along for like three more hours and decided that uh, it probably wasn't going to get better like it did earlier. So uh, that's kind of how my, I don't know if that was the question or not, but that's sort of the way my my hours went um, throughout the course of, of the of the race. Yeah. So on that, on that, uh, recovery part, if you would have, do you think if you would have kept doing the religious routine of, of stretching and rolling, you think that would have maybe lasted a little bit longer than what it did? I don't know. It, it's tough to go back. I mean, I was still doing it a little bit. Um, but I think I got a little confident about how good it was feeling. I was like, okay, maybe it just, maybe all that tightness and, and stuff, worked its way out after running so much and like I it was crazy how much like my my opposite leg was hurting worse for a while um yeah and then and so I don't know I think it was inevitable perhaps and um I, I needed to worry about other things 
like resting and, uh, and food and, and just, you know, um, eventually I couldn't just like massage my leg for 10 minutes every hour. It was going to get, it was going to use like other things were going to get more important. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's awesome. Uh, one thing that I kind of was curious about, Michael, obviously, uh, after knowing you for a little bit, I know that this is one format of race that you've been eyeing for a while now. Um, maybe like, dating back to 2016, 2017, you've had your eyes on this for a long time now. Uh, but with that being said, you haven't gone that pace for that period of time. I think your slowest uh, hundred mile finish was Bighorn in 26 hours. Um, so the time on feet for you was a lot different than Gabe coming into these events who uh, has done multiple uh, back at ultras at this point. Uh, what was your kind of well, 30 hour part and been laying on my back quite a bit. <laughs> Those are also the best, but what, what was kind of your mindset with that? Obviously extra time on feet, obviously you're not kind of used to that, uh, how do you have to like switch your mindset to slow down as much as you did? Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I ever have struggled with that to be honest. Like, yeah, I guess some people consider me a faster guy in the ultra scene with, you know, some sub six 50 milers or some fast hundred milers, but I've never had a problem with running slow. Um, like it, it, I've never like, I've never burned out from a pace, um, issue it's usually, um, my best races I, I ease into it. And, um, and so I guess like, yeah, it was hard. It was just like hard cause you had to focus on slowing down early on. Um, but it didn't seem awkward or anything to me, I guess. Um, I don't know, I guess. Yeah. Like, you know, like you said, I have been eyeing this type of race for a long time. I never really felt like I should do it. And so I guess with all the race cancellations, I didn't have anything to lose with like recovery because, and maybe it won't recover, maybe it won't take that long to recover. You know, maybe it would have, maybe if I went like 250 miles and not 150, but, um, you know, like I was doing to do some faster, shorter races this spring or like 50 K distances, I guess, but those are canceled. I'm thinking maybe my June races might be canceled. And so there was no reason to hold back, I guess. I don't know. I hope, hope the June races are canceled, but, um, yeah. but yeah, I don't know. There's, there was no reason to like not do it at this time, I guess. And that's, that's kind of why I ended up kind of getting that mind frame. Okay. Like let's push through some pain. Let's get, let's get to the, eventually I came to the idea of like, okay, let's get past the point of comfort. 24 hours for a hundred miles for me uh, over the weekend was comfortable. Um, you know, muscle wise, painting wise. Um, and so I wanted to get past that point and get into that range of mental fatigue and, and, uh, you know, physical fatigue and stuff. So I got there and like, like Gabe said earlier, like it's always disappointing. Um, you know, my last lap was 58 minutes. I could have easily walked back out the door and probably gone several more hours, even with a bum leg. Like I was walking that 58 minute lap and just had to run like the last quarter mile just to make it in a time. And it, and it still got me under an hour. Maybe I could have, and maybe my Achilles would have came back around. Who knows? So it is disappointing. And that's kind of what leaves us hanging, making us want to come back and do it again. Is like, Oh man, I could have easily done more than one, one sixty two. Um, so yeah, it's a cool format just for that reason. I think that's why a lot of people are drawn to it. Is it, is it, it's an easy way to get to your comfort zone and past it. And then it always leaves you wanting more. Definitely. Yeah. There's a couple awesome questions in the chat right now. Annie Lang asks, Mike, what surprised you most about running the backyard format, even after race directing a backyard race? And does it want to make you to do another one? I feel like that answer is going to be a pretty passionate. Yes. But yeah, I'd love to do another one. Um, I'm on the wait list for the big dogs backyard ultra. I have no idea how that wait list progresses or where I'm at on it. But, um, you know, if I got the call from Laz to do it in October, well, who knows what the race schedule will be like the races that I direct 
postpone and stuff would be pretty heavy at that time. But um, I'd probably take that call and, and go down there in a true format. Um, what surprised me about the backyard ultra running it? Um, I guess what surprised me, I, I was thinking about this is that things can go bad real fast and you might be on cloud nine at hour 35, but then 36, you're like questioning whether you even like go back home. Like, okay, let's just stay out here to turn around. Um, so I guess that surprised me a bit is just how unpredictable your own body was. Um, and that you shouldn't get too confident in yourself. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, Daniel Rainwater asked Gabe, how does it feel to be a legend? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I guess it feels good. <laughs> you want to call me a legend? You can call me a legend. <laughs> You're definitely a legend, Gabe. Well, thank you. I think it's interesting, Michael, that you said uh, you would take that call from Laz because I know a couple other people took a call from Laz over this past weekend at the last hour of the race over at Personal Peak Endurance, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, <laughs> that Yeah, it's just absolutely crazy still. Take us through the last couple loops and just the, the last – basically your last push, like how did it end for you? Obviously, Gabe, you set a new PR. Michael, you went 162 miles. Gabe, you went 154, I believe. Um, take us through the final moments and when, why did you shut it down? Um, so I shut it down basically because, I, I mean, my, my body just kind of shut down. I, my course was, I had a big hill or my biggest hill coming, was coming back in, um, coming back into my aid station. And I, so I was coming into the lap. I was about three miles into my last loop and I was still doing, uh, like a 12, 12 and a half minute mile. I was hurting, but it was manageable. I hit the last hill and I walked up the hill and it just kind of took it out of me. Um, and then like my, my feet, my legs were just like needles um, running on, you know, like glass or whatever you want to just, and then it's like, and then for me, it's like, well, if I, which is one thing I have to work on is like, you know, if I feel like this right now, like I could go out for another loop, but I'm just going to feel like that again. And then so what's the point of one more loop or two more loops or, but that like, you really don't know. You could have, I could have stood back up cause I came in probably 55 minutes and I laid down for, you know, a minute or two. And I was like, oh, I'm done. That's good. And partly it's cause I had a PR like 54, but you know, I was laying there, I was looking at Michael on the screen. I was like, man, Michael's going to beat me. I, like, I really wanted to beat Michael. <laughs> and I was like, you know, it's all right. You know, it's all right. It's all right to lose to Michael. Um, <laughs> so this is off topic, but um, I'll be honest, like Gabe and Harvey, two Ohio guys were big motivators for me and, and my own backyard ultra. I was like, okay, Tim Crow went 123 last year. Now I'm past him. Uh, the winner last year was 129 at my backyard ultra. I got, just got past him. And then like Harvey dropped out. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. Said, man how long is gabe gonna go and i was thinking i knew his pr was 150 i was like i bet if anything he's at least gonna want to get past 150 yeah. and that's what happened and uh i'll be honest i was starting to hurt about that time yeah like, like so to get back on that question wes um it was smooth sailing for me from like 1 a.m until uh whenever hour 30 uh 36 was and it right I, i'm i'm a little lost in the time i just was right every hour but um it was smooth sailing for like a long time for me no pain no stomach issues and then like i knew 150 was approaching and things were still good up until 150 mile 150 hour 36 um and i started feeling some stomach nauseous like nauseous feelings 
couldn't hold things down quite as well. And then, um, like my, like I was saying earlier, my Achilles literally just out of blue, out of the blue, I was literally trying to conserve energy by walking this hill that I had been running. I was like, okay, I'm going to walk this hill this time. Cause it's like, I'm, I want to conserve energy. And like literally a couple strides into my walk, I felt my Achilles just kind of seize up. I was like, are you serious? Right. When I'm trying to do something helpful for myself, it actually backfired. And so that was like on that hour, um, 36 is when that happened. And, um, and like I said, like the, the Achilles thing just really, really got bad from then on out. And, uh, and that's, and then like, I was looking to maybe, okay, drop out. I'm done here. And then Gabe announced his departure, like 10 seconds before the bell went off. I was like, okay, I'm gonna go out for a few more. <laughs> and, um, and that actually motivated me some more, at least like a few more laps. And that's, and that's, you know, even though I was in pain, I was like, okay. I can, I can just use that motivation for some for momentum, and uh, but then it got real tough. Like the Achilles moved up to my calf, to my hip, to my back, and then it just called caused like full body, not not pain, just restriction basically. Like I like walking was pain. Like walking was hard. To, like extend um, normal walking motion. You know whatever you know whatever that is. I love the uh, the pass off that happened. Um, that's probably the best, like most like honorable, humble way to go out. To you're like in pain, laying down, dying, and you're like, "Keep it going, Michael!" Like <laughs> <laughs> represent Ohio. I was like, which was great too, because mind you, Ohio had what three runners in the top twenty four, twenty five, whatever mean, it was. It was like the top fifteen, I think, top 15, or wherever yeah. we got down to. But it was like Ohio was like where it was at for the longest time. Crazy. Yeah, considering it was people from all around the world. All righty, guys. I think it's time to finally jump into a little bit of the controversy that ended this race. Obviously, almost a day later, um, Mike Wardian and Radek Brunner were battling it out. Uh, for those of you that do not know, Mike Wardian won, running 262 miles, I believe. Uh, his last loop was 720 pace, just absolutely blitzed it, which is just incredible to think about, but uh, it's kind of crazy how that those events played out. Were both of you watching that when that happened, or how did you hear about the controversy when it happened? Uh, Michael, you can start us off. Yes, I was not watching. I was in bed, um, but you guys, this group chat I'm in with Wesley, that started going crazy, and so I logged on real fast and watched the aftermath of the announcement and that's what I was doing. Yes. It's crazy. Yeah. And I wasn't paying. I mean, once I dropped out, I just stopped paying attention basically to all of it. I had a couple of buddies who were like texting me different stuff and asking me if I was paying attention. I was like, yeah. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, I was like, those guys are crazy. Like, you know, you just kind of dis I'm just disappointed. It's like, you know, I want to, you know, I wish I could be going that far too. So once I'm done, I'm done. I, don't really I mean, I did think about, I didn't like, I fell asleep pretty quickly after I finished, I got a shower and got in bed and was zonked out until I, I finished at midnight and I was, you know, I slept from like 1 AM until 10 AM pretty soundly. And, you know, I, I looked back, you know, when I woke up, I was like, All right, how many's left? Where did people drop out at? And I think if I would have just made it, three or four more hours, I would have been the final three. So that that's like another reason it stings. It's like, dang, that would have been cool. And like, cause well, not, don't know how people are feeling. I mean, like you, Michael, like, you know, I dropped out. It's like, well, you were basically on the verge of dropping out when I fell, but even harder in the virtual race where you can't even, um, you know, just, Cause you, yeah. have, you can't see anyone really. All you see is a little tiny screen, you know, and at least when you're racing yeah. head to head, you can kind of get a sense of what people are feeling. But so it was, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, like, yeah, you never know. Like you don't know if those five people remaining are going to be there till 12 hours from now, or if they're going to be gone in three hours. And like Biggs, when I was at Biggs, you know, it was down to my, I was on my last lap and I was, 
you know, I just hit 150 miles and I was going out on the road and I was, I basically got left behind. Everyone left me. And I, was, I thought I was the last one and it was just sort of demoralizing. I was like, well, you know, my, my body was aching. I was like, I think I'm done. And I just kind of stopped and stood there for a little while. And then I turned around and started walking back. And this dude comes, comes up behind me who was, had been behind me. And he was, you know, going, still going. I was like, <laughs> should have kept going because there's one, you know, I would have beat him. But, you know, I dropped down, turned around and hold. So it's, yeah. it's, it's difficult. It's a difficult thing. Yeah, for sure. And then, yeah, like then if you do stay in, you know, in hindsight, it's like, dang, I would have had to gone. Yeah. Uh, how many more hours? Like 20 more hours. Like, okay, probably wouldn't have happened. <laughs> right. Well, that's, what, that's why you, that's why you say you're done when you're done. Cause you're like, well, I, you know, I can hardly, I just barely made it in this time. I can't, how am I going to do 20 more of these things? But that's when you gotta, you gotta get through your head that like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because even Mike Wardian had a really bad patch at 3 a.m like three hours after I finished and he like, I think he even did walk back or like he, he, he was like doing a small loop and like after one loop, he was like telling his wife he was going to drop. And, and then he just like, she said something, he got motivated <laughs> and then he, you know, he went for another 15 hours or whatever. So like it does, turn, it can turn around. That's the hope. Everyone hopes for that. So Gabe, obviously you may not even know the finish here and I'll Michael and John feel free to chime in if I'm misleading the story in any way. But uh, basically there were two final runners left, Mike Wardian and Radek Bruner. Uh, I think it was lap 59 at the time. Um, Radek basically was in his starting corral at the start of the bell, but he did not start his treadmill. Obviously being a virtual backyard ultra, this is where things get dicey compared to making a physical event. Uh, in the rules themselves, it said that runners had to be on the treadmill to, uh, as their corral to be back in the corral, which that like is their corral, so that makes sense. So he was there, but two points above that in the rules, it also said that you had to start the treadmill, which he did not do for almost a minute and a half afterwards. And then he decided to start running. And at that point, Laz and everyone kind of like just freaked out. And that's how he was disqualified in the end so he was still he was still there uh we i i haven't heard anything i haven't seen anything i don't know if he said it was a technical error i don't know if um he just didn't know i don't know if it was a mental lapse we're, we're not sure at this point um the the crazy part and john actually brought this up to me at some point like even though he's on the treadmill and he didn't push start on the treadmill what if he just like leaned forward or took one step on the treadmill does that count as starting the loop i mean it's all so technical um obviously he ended up being disqualified and that's how mike wardian won uh what are you guys's opinions thoughts hot takes on this whole issue whoever wants it gabe you Uh, can start well so someone was telling me he was the uh fellow was using like a different clock um and his clock was apparently off like the two clocks weren't syncing and so he thought he was actually starting when he was supposed to or something um i mean it's kind of funny that a technical i mean you know going into the event i thought boy this is you know you're kind of playing with fire because the, you know because i was even unsure of like the ability to keep track of stuff and actually how it was going to work um so the fact that it kind of came down to that in the end um, is not that surprising also a little bit of me thinks well someone was out there i don't think laz wanted he wants his event to be the one to go 300 miles um so laz may have pulled the plug somewhere (laughs) but because i mean and you know like running on the treadmill i was you know i was trying to figure out i was thinking it was it was a decent advantage um just because you could be you could have your you know control of your surroundings light you know you didn't have you would not have any darkness um now you're on a treadmill for three days but you know yeah and treadmills also you know a lot more low impact um yeah. and it, it easier on your legs mm-hmm. easier and you know there's less um strain overall because the belt help pulls you depending on how you're running so there's there's definitely advantages and i think that's one of the big things that i think i was most upset about with this whole process was that it was called on a technicality of something that could be argued that way 
guess to me, like with everything going on in the world and the way, you know, with this pandemic and, and the purpose of this race was to bring people together to run and have fun. I think it should have gone out in an ethic, more ethical way. Um, and they should have been able to maybe finish out strong with a, a, a drop of like, I'm done instead of something so technical on this style of race. If it, it makes sense, if it was like a, a real race at a real place that had real stakes with real money, then maybe, but I don't think it was appropriate for the style um, of race that was happening. Yeah. I mean, I, if it would have been me, I would have just been like, you know, just, okay. He started a minute late. Like that's just his, I mean, his disadvantage for, you know, you're staying, you're going to stay there for a minute, then there's a minute and now on the course. Mm-hmm. So I would have, I would have just, you know, just keep running, but whatever. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Mike Wardian was basically pleading like, Hey, can we just keep running? Like, let's just go for the record. I mean, he was literally just like, let's just, yeah, I think, I think they were after the record. I mean, that's what yeah, he's like, can I keep running? Can I keep running? Can I keep running? And they're like, no, you can run one more. He's like, but that's not the record. So why would I do that? Right. Yeah. But, Michael, <laughs> what are your thoughts here? Um, so we've discussed this, Wes, you and I in our personal text text group. Um, so I want to, before I say anything, because I might say some things that might just seem mean, but um, the backyard, the quarantine backyard ultra organizers did a phenomenal job, right? Like Great. they they pulled this thing together in less than two weeks. They assembled uh, some supporters and some elite athletes that, that really hyped it up. They got 2,400 um, entrants, 1,500 starters, and the whole like system with Zoom and the YouTube feed and the publicity was top top of the line. It worked out way better than I thought it ever would have with mm-hmm. the Zoom and the Strava and mm-hmm. the way they kept track of things and the way they engaged with the runners and the public was phenomenal. And I think this was the first time they've directed a race. Um, and this is a personal peak. Um, forget exactly what they do, coaching services, maybe some yeah personal coaching in yeah. Canada. Um, so they, they did great. Like I, I use the analogy <laughs> of a parent and a child, like you can love the child, but they can still disappoint you. That doesn't mean you don't like them anymore. So I don't, so my personal thoughts is that I thought it was a really bad call the way they handled this for, for, <laughs> They tried to uphold some technicalities of the backyard ultra rules, the LAS rules, which I call them now. Um, they tried to uphold some of those, or they they so they they changed some to fit this virtual format, but then they chose some other ones to be super strict about. And that one that ended up costing Mike and Radic to go further was the one that you had to start when the bell started and I think as soon as you brought a treadmill into the equation, it completely changes the rules. It completely alters what the corral means. Obviously in a course format with everyone in the same course, there's a spray painted box that everyone has to be in when the bell rings. But then again, everyone has to leave when the bell rings, but here's some, ambiguity so how long do people have to leave the box even in a even in a real life backyard ultra is it five seconds what if someone's in the very back of the box and then they're crawling to get out and it takes them a minute okay hypotheticals here obviously i'm all about hypotheticals you know like are they de- are they dq'd they're making forward progress so like i think there's some ambiguity in in that part there's there's whoever decides those amount of seconds that someone has until they move like Radic and other back, other treadmill guys were spending 15 to 30 seconds getting their treadmill up and running, getting their watch synced to their treadmill. However that works. I don't know how treadmills and watches and, and iPads sync up, whatever, but like, like someone gave them some time and Harvey Lewis, I saw he posted after the race is that he asked this question before the race to the race organizers, how many, you know, how long do you have until you have to start? And the race directors, he claims in his post, um, 
just um, relaying what he said, that they said anywhere up to 50 seconds. So who determines the 50 seconds? Okay, like you're, you're leaving so much out there to interpret where this race is supposed to be black and white. And luckily, in a true black backyard ultra format, a non-virtual race, it is black and white. The race director is standing there, the runners are on the line, and if someone stands there for a minute, you, you pull them. That's the rules. What if, what if you cross the starting line and then you sit down for a minute? Laz says that's fine. Um, I, I clarified that with Laz, and he said there would be no advantage, which I, I would actually think there would be an advantage. Say you grab your shoes and you don't tie them. Oh, yeah. Right, and you, right. you know, or you grab, you know, you're trying to get your watch on or trying to get your belt on or whatever. Like, you can. So that, that doesn't even make sense to me. Like, <laughs> so here's another part of this disqualification is say Raddick would have made his corral in his living room. He could have walked to his treadmill, got on it, and stood there for however long he wanted to if he was able to still complete his hour. Um, so it's just a, he didn't time out. He didn't stay in his living room asleep. He didn't fall asleep on the treadmill. It's like some people claim he was, he was coherent. You could tell he was like getting stuff like he was getting his iPad. Like it was just like routine for him. You can tell that he was not trying to cheat the system. And both runners were going to be able to go much long, long. Well, obviously, like it looked like they were. Um, so why not let them duke it out? And also, I'll I'll just jump to this. Laz's reaction was completely out of line, in my opinion. He was on the Zoom feed, just like we are. There was actually four people because it was it was uh, Mike and Radic, Laz, and the organizers on the screen. And um, you know, Laz is there with his wife, Sandra. And they were great. I loved their. I loved his commentary. It was great to have Laz's input, but he was not the race director of this race. He throws his hands up and walks off the screen, saying it should be over. He doesn't have that call. He's not the race director, but he impacted the call. There's no doubt, in my opinion, that he impacted the race director's decision to pull Radic. Okay, and so that's not fair for one. And um, like it just, I think you know, and. So the whole thing kind of like ended really sour in my opinion. Like I said, love the race organization and the way it all worked out, but really hated that ending in the end. Well, yeah. but I don't think there, I don't think they should have, even if they would have kept going, could have said it was a backyard record because I think one of the most important rules in backyard is the 12 hours on the trail and the 12 hours on the road. And that makes a big difference switching from road to trail um, I agree. Like, and that's, that's another thing too, is with the rule bending. So that was another rule that they altered. To yeah. fit this format was that they said you can run any loop you wanted to, you can switch it up every time if you wanted to, and you can receive eight on the course, Right. which why did you make that a rule? Why was that a rule? Like why did, why was that changed from the original backyard ultra rules and not this yeah. other thing? Yeah. A lot of the backyard guys I've talked to, they're like, you know, I was doing great on the trail and then I hit the road and my body just shut down because of the road or the other way around. They're like, you know, I was doing, I was tearing up the road and then I hit that trail and the rocks and the roots, you know, just did me in. And so I think there's, you know, a true backyard is 12 hours of road, 12 hours of trail. With the same vert, everyone on the same brain, you know, I, I felt, I felt guilty whenever, um, on the second night I decided to, or during the second day, I mean, sorry, I just I, I did a few hours on my gravel route route during the second day, and then I was like, "This is getting tough." So I switched back over to that road loop. I felt guilty. I was like, "Okay, I sort of feel like I'm cheating the backyard ultra system," but it was it was within the rules. Wardian wasn't he running? He was running like a how many loops to make his four miles? Just yeah, flat road. Yeah, exactly. And the treadmill. That's easy. Like yeah. it, it's it's kind of funny this the whole disqualification thing. I went from like hating that there was still a bunch of treadmill guys left in it to like feeling sorry for the treadmill guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Michael, I think you hit it right on the head. Obviously, I kind of hashed out a lot of my points on this topic in the rundown this week that hasn't been released yet. Uh, we'll be out sooner this week, but um, basically, I said the same thing. Like the event organizers, they did a great job. I personally never heard of personal peak endurance before this event. 
Um, had no idea who they were, but I 100% believe that right after Laz ended his stream, he got on the phone with those race directors and basically said, hey guys, shut it down. It's over. It won't count for anything. N not that it would have counted for anything anyway, in my opinion. I think it, the fact that it's virtual anyway makes it an asterisk already. Uh, and so like, even if they would have kept going or not gone, I just think that he 100% impacted that race, maybe for his own benefit. Uh, it's just my opinion. Uh, Some conspiracy theory, because we don't know he called them, but <laughs> I, you have to believe that his um, commentating presence throughout the event was impactful. The way thing. that the personal peak people like hop back on the stream afterwards and like were super emotional laying out the news, they, I don't think they just came to that decision by themselves and just got emotional because of it. I think they were, they had to have been impacted. Been like, imagine like, like if you get, if you, news is broken to you in a certain way, it hits you harder. But like, if you decide that news yourself, I don't know if you'd react the same way. That's why I just think last hopped on the phone and called them up. And something else too. Okay. Not to continue talking badly about anybody, but, um, Obviously, everyone was tired, even the race directors. But so, you know, Radix in the Czech Republic, his English wasn't great. He he was speaking English into the camera, but he he wasn't talking to the camera like Mike Wardian was. Um, and who and people, some people don't even like. We haven't heard from Radic. I don't think. I don't think he's released a statement. And like you said, Wes, this doesn't mean anything. But tell Radic or Mike Wardian that this doesn't mean anything like it's a personal um personal uh you know achievement that w does mean a lot like i'll take this achievement and, you know to my grave and really value it value the experience and it's a big growth experience but um you know like he some people speculate that his feed wasn't up to time with the real feed and that's something that we can talk about too like Back into the 20s or early 30s, at some point, Personal Peaks feed got off by one minute, and everyone got an extra minute. Like mm -hmm. my watches and my clock in my house, um, you know, at some point it was 3:01 or it was 4:01 when we got started, and not on the hour. And uh, that was because they had some kind of feed issue, and they they decided to extend it for everybody. Obviously, it's for everybody, but I was at the door ready to go on the hour. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, is my feed stuck at one minute or do I actually have a minute left? And like, okay, that would never happen at a backyard ultra. That would never happen. And, um, so they, they were able to be flexible there, but not be flexible when, I don't know, man, I just, <laughs> I just, I, I'm trying to put myself in Radic's shoes and like imagine how I'd feel. And I just feel really, really bummed. Just so sad. If I if it if I know in my mind that I was co coherent and ready to go, yeah, I guess that's the one aspect that is yet to be seen. We just don't know yet, and I'm sure eventually it'll come out uh, his side of the story if it hasn't already. Um, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I just, you just hate to see it end that way. Obviously, the fact that it was virtual, obviously there was a slight chance that it could end that way. Uh, but I, uh, Gabe, what do you think the differences were between a physical backyard ultra and a virtual one what made this one easier or harder than the three you've done previously in the past one of my biggest uh obstacles and difficult missing my family um because i've just gone by myself with friends mostly um it's helping me with crew and just in part because my wife and my kids, it's just easier to, for them to stay home and it doesn't put everybody out. So I get really, I just really miss them and get lonely. And um, so at this one, it was great because I had all my family and my girls were running around me and my wife was there and uh, we could, you know, I would say, Hey, I want this or that. And they would go to the house and get it. You know, Hey, I want my, my jacket. And they're like, okay, we'll go get it. So like that aspect, it was really nice and convenient. Um, and I really, I don't have an issue. I didn't, I don't have an issue. Like 
I don't need a bunch of people around me to motivate me. Um, so the fact that it was virtual, my motivation really wasn't lacking as far as a race um, atmosphere. Like I don't, I don't think I really need the race atmosphere. You know, the stream was enough for me. Um, so, I mean, it was, that was, I mean, like I said, it, it was really cool just to be racing roads that I have run my, my whole life. Um, you know, since I was like 12, 13 years old and now I'm running, like, I can remember I, there was this one winter, like every day I'd run that route, the exact route that I ran at four miles and I'd run that four miles every day. And I just thought I was a badass. <laughs> and then like, you know, two days ago, I ran it 37 times without stopping. So just it was just kind of surreal, the growth and the, um, you know, so it was pretty cool. Definitely. You kind of touched on it, but I know you you guys both had awesome support uh, from family and friends uh, throughout the race. How important was to having how important was it to having them there for you guys? Um, Michael, you can kick this one off. Yeah, that was cool. Like when I told my wife I was for sure doing it the night before, I was like, I don't expect, I told her, I don't expect it too much from her. And, you know, like I was, I was willing and able to kind of self support myself for, you know, at least like the first day. But, uh, you know, like they ended up doing so much for me and, um, you know, like she had, you know, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old and they're just, you know, they're, they've been home for like a month. And so they're stir crazy anyway. So like, you know, my, my wife's, um, keeping track of them and, and entertaining them. Meanwhile, she's bouncing back in when I'm getting back with, with, you know, I, I didn't have any, um, gels or goos or, you know, artificial type sweetener food stuff, whatever. Um, it was all like real food and she was basically eventually preparing all that for me. Um, so huge, huge support. And, but it was also really cool because it was in my own house, very convenient, had the stove, had the, had the uh, rice cooker and had the, had the coffee maker, um, had her, had her pantry right there. Um, but it was, it was cool. Yeah. Like my kids, uh, we had a whistle and a bell and like my daughter was like wanting to blow the whistle, uh, whenever the whistle on the screen would go off and ring the bell when I got back and stuff. So, um, yeah, that would probably not be possible at a, a normal race. And it was, it was kind of cool. Like, um, I was running this race when, when the kids got put to bed two nights in a row and uh, I still got like my good night hugs, um, in between loops and stuff. And, um, yeah, you think about them when you're out there and you think about it when you come back into the house and it's 3am and they're in like, literally their window is like right next to, uh, where I'm starting from and trying to make sure you don't stay in the door when you exit the house for your 4am loop. And, uh, um, yeah, just incredible. And then like, uh, my parents live next door and eventually, um, my sister and her, her boyfriend and, and my mom and dad kind of like came out to the end of the driveway every time I came back in, um, waiting for me and they could see me sort of down the road a ways and they would cheer for me. And, um, yeah, it was like a, you know, obviously we're all kind of in quarantine right now and trying not to be around many people, even our family members, which is tough for a lot of people. And, um, the people that I am around are my family members since we're all sort of on the same property. And, um, and so having their support was, was the crowd. It was the, it was the race atmosphere and they did a phenomenal job and couldn't have asked for anything more. I don't think it took away from, uh, like, I don't think the atmosphere was anything that took away from my, uh, like, I don't think I could have went any further. I don't think, uh, if I was in a real race during this moment or during this race, you know, maybe with some more experience than I could, but yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So like my wife, she was with me during the day. Um, and then my brother and my dad took over through the first night. Um, and then my dad went to bed and my brother stayed up all night. And then Heather, my wife, she came back at 6am and then also with my youngest daughter who was not sleeping. Um, so they came back up and then, uh, yeah, they were there all during the day. And, um, and then like, I also like the, 
you know, it was a virtual race and I knew there was, you know, I had virtual fans too that I, there were people up who were watching the feed and cheering on me. And like when I, they voted, I guess they were doing voting to move runners to uh, the elite screen. And, you know, they voted, I got voted onto the elite screen and that like really just tore me up basically. Like my loop, I, I cried, I think half my loop, I was out there running on my loop. And I was like, man, I'm, you know, I'm running this loop that I've run all my life. And they, I've got people voting me on to the, you know, racing the elite runners on a road on my house. It was just kind of crazy. <laughs> I'm getting the picture that you're a big softy, Gabe. Uh, well, I am. I, I run on emotion. I really run on emotion. So that's either a blessing or a curse. And I wear it on my sleeve too. So I don't do, I don't do a poker face very well. <laughs> nice. So remember that, Mohican. <laughs> I'm either a DNF or way out in front. <laughs> Richard actually had a, a quick question here. Was having the family there at the house and being at the house, did it make it harder to go back out compared to a standard back at Ultra where like you are isolated and you're not just the family's not right there. You just can't go in and, and hug your call it quits and hug your kids. You know what I mean? Like, did that have an impact on you guys at all? I didn't notice that really. Like I, I never was like, man, I want to be done because I just want to go hug my kids or sleep in my bed. Um, it was really nice when I was done to just literally walk in my house and fall in my bed. <laughs> I mean, so, but no, I didn't really notice. Yeah, I, I don't think, um, I, for me, it was like routine, like, you know, heard the three minute bell, like got my shoes back on. Heard a two-minute bell, get my watch off the charger. Heard a one-minute bell, stand up, like sort of like uh, you know, there was no decision. I, I was just doing it off of routine, and and you know, later on when it got tough, it never really like occurred to me that I should stay there because I wanted to be in the comfort of my home. It was more like my wife was pushing me out the door at that point. Um, so and now, uh, yeah. Yeah. And I knew my wife wasn't going to let me just stop just to stop. Like I was going to have to be like basically dead before she was going to be like, okay, you can be done. <laughs> That's awesome guys. Uh, the story is hey, you go for it, Michael. Um, I just want to bring up some food questions real fast. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> um, so thanks to my wife, but I would also say that I had some of the most interesting food of all the competitors all around the world. <laughs> um, true backyard ultra style here. Um, my, my wife's brother came to fish. We have a big pond, a two and a half acre pond in front of our house and uh, he was fishing and, and he skinned all the fish and my wife fried the fish up during that first day. And I had some truly fried backyard fish during the race. And that was cool. Um, and I had some, backyard ultra backyard dandelion cookies and uh just completely playing up the backyard theme there <laughs> that's so that's reliant that's crazy <laughs> you're almost better in that atmosphere but it, it didn't pay off because uh that fish was later on the road <laughs> along with the dead rabbit <laughs> Uh, one final question here from Annie Lang before we wrap up. Uh, Gabe, you've done a bajillion backyard alt races. Which one was the hardest mentally and physically? And was this one the hardest just because it was your longest? Uh, let's see. No, this was the easiest. Um, and then the next easiest was Biggs. Um, and then I think the hardest was probably Bob's backyard, um, physically and mentally. Physically, it was just a mud hole um, that just sucked it, sucked the energy out of me. Um, and then I was racing uh, Olivier, who was just like a machine. And like you know, you'd look over there at him, and he was just like, "I'm gonna stop." And and I wanted, and my goal was to win, so to have a gold, or I wanted the golden ticket, so I could go to Bigs. 
And I was just, so then to not win and be facing Olivier, basically, it was just sort of devastating. And then Michael's last year at Ohio Backyard, I really, I was not mentally prepared for, for a backyard because I'd never done one. And so I actually like got to a hundred miles and felt perfectly fine, but I was basically, I just was done running and I was, I didn't want to be running anymore. And so I just started hammering and just was running as fast as I could. Cause I was like, you know what, I'm just going to run as hard as I can and just see who I can blow up. And I blew them all up except one. <laughs> yeah. That was an interesting, uh, yeah, but it was basically, it was just because I was, I was mentally, I was like, I don't want to be here and I don't want to be running anymore, but yeah. I wasn't ready to quit. I wasn't going to just stop. So, but looking back on that one, I, I really wished I, if I, if I had run that one, knowing what I know now, I would have gone much farther. I would have loved that too. Yeah. I think it's interesting, Gabe, uh, real quick, your first backyard ultra you ran one and next one you beat your PR by one loop. Then you had a huge jump, obviously up to 150. And this time you beat your PR by one loop. So your next back at Ultra is going to be a massive jump again. And we're super excited to see it. Uh, Bob, Michael, Bob's big timber. Bob's big timber. Bob's big timber coming back yeah. year two. Um, Michael, obviously, uh, this is your first race. You absolutely crushed it. I know that uh, you said you're on the wait list for bigs. And I know that if you get to go down there in September, or October, whenever the race is going to be held, that you're going to absolutely crush it. So we're excited to follow you guys in your adventures. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Uh, remember, we are back tomorrow with another show, 8 p.m. with Eric Anderson and Bobby Harrington. These two North Carolina runners have run some of the hardest races and the biggest races on the East Coast. So be sure to join us tomorrow. Uh, just a reminder that you can catch us live on YouTube or take us on the go via Apple Podcasts. If you know anyone you think would be a great guest for the show, like these two gentlemen were, let us know in the comments below. Gabe and Michael, thank you guys so much again for joining us, and we'll see you guys soon. Yeah, thanks for the support, guys. Thank you. Thanks. See you guys.